Please open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19, found on page 121 in your red Bibles. We'll begin with verse 9 and read through verse 18. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor, frankly, so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson comes from the letter of James, and it is found beginning on page 1213, if you're using the Red Bible. Now, as we go through James's letter, we are really going through chapter one, all the way through, and with each section of chapter one, we're also adding things throughout the letter that seem to go with it in terms of theme. And you'll see quickly what our theme is for today. You'll maybe need a little bit of dexterity with your fingertips throughout our reading and our sermon as we flip between chapters 1 and 2 and 5, but maybe this will just be good. It will keep us all awake and on our toes and uh, be good for us. Let's look first at James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and I'll read these verses for us. Let's hear God's word. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And then chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 12. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then lastly, Chapter 5, the first six verses. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I would like you to keep your Bibles open and keep your fingertips ready as we bounce back and forth between a couple of these difficult but good passages. Our series is called On the Way with St. James. If you haven't figured it out yet, it's a reference to the El Camino de Santiago, uh, the Jakobsweg if you're a German speaker. And, of course, it stretches from Switzerland through France, through Spain, all the way to eastern Spain. How long? 
is the way of St. James, this pilgrim route? What kind of terrain do we find along the way? What kind of people are you going to bump into along the path? How long does it take to finish the journey? Well, uh, it depends on where you start, doesn't it? If you start in Switzerland, it's going to be a lot longer, isn't it, than if you start in the Pyrenees and you just cut across northern Spain. And you'll probably meet different people on this part of the path. We can think of James's book as kind of a guidebook to the trail. And the lesson that we read about today in James's trail guidebook is, you probably felt this, it's kind of hard for us to hear. Because it's not about the terrain, it's not about how long it is. Rather, the question is, what characters will I meet along the way? And what kind of character must I have to pass the, the test and to reach, finally, the end of the trail? As we scan James's guidebook, as you think over what we've read together, you might say, okay, seems like we're going to meet three characters. Who are they? Well, let's take a look again. Chapter 1, verse 9. James introduces us to believers in humble circumstances. And then in the next verse, verse 10, we have the rich. When we look at chapter 2, verse 2 says that uh, there's a man who's wearing a gold ring and fine clothing. And then that same verse says you might also have a poor man in filthy clothes. Jump down to verse 5. We have those who were poor, James says. And then again in verse 6, the rich. Okay, we're starting to get the picture here. Chapter 5, verse 1, rich people. Chapter 5, verse 4, workers and harvesters who don't get paid and who are found weeping. So over and over again, the people we meet along the path are the rich and the poor, right? And then we might say, because this is a book of the Bible, and James mentions him, uh, God himself. And God is primarily watching and waiting, and later will act. So, three characters. The rich, the poor, and the Lord God. Then we might ask, well, what are they like? For example, how did the poor get to be poor? Were they foolish? Sinful? Maybe. Probably not, though. On the pilgrim trail, after all, not everybody starts at the same spot, do they? Some people are born wealthy, and others are born poor. If you've been raised and born and raised poor, then you're going to enter adulthood poor. And things are a little bit different today, but especially in the first century, if you're born poor, you do not have much chance of not being poor. Your day-to-day -day life is marked by powerlessness, by a feeling of being out of place, especially among the wealthy. And if you aren't begging for money and food, then you still feel like everybody thinks 
you're going to start begging for money and food. So imagine then that you're the poor man in chapter 2, verse 2. And you wander off the pilgrim trail and on into a chapel. Maybe this one. You come into church and your work clothes are also your church clothes. Where do I sit? Can I hope to make friends here? Is anybody like me here? Could I possibly ever feel at home? And then the service finishes and you go back to work, probably without a proper rest. And what happens in your work week? Chapter 5 tells us. Verse 4, sometimes the boss pays you fairly, sometimes they don't. But what do you do? You have to keep mowing and harvesting. What else are you going to do? This is how you survive. And to make it easier for all those people in the chapel there who don't want to see you, don't want to smell you or talk to you, the next time you come into the church building, maybe you head straight for the balcony in the final row in the back. And then you have the rich person. What are they like? Uh, Chapter 2, verse 2. You come to church, you've got your expensive clothes on, you've got your ring on your finger, and you sit wherever you want. You're probably running the church, after all, not worrying about whether you're going to fit in. Maybe you're running the town, and you're a guest at the church. Everyone respects you. Monday comes for you. And chapter 5, verse 4, you make sure that there's enough workers in the field. You pay them as little as possible. And then, verse 5, you go on to live in luxury and self-indulgence. The poor, the rich, final character, God. What is God doing on this part of the pilgrim trail as he watches and sees all this? Well, yes, he's watching and he's listening And chapter 5, verse 4, God can see the rich woman refusing to pay her laborers. He can hear the workers in the field groaning under their labor, weeping on the way home. And sometimes God interrupts and says things. He sends people like James And so he might say to the rich person, for example, chapter 2, verse 8, you know my commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 13, if you're not merciful, you will see no mercy. And then back to chapter 5, verse 1, someday you will wear clothes and cry the tears of the poor. Sometimes the images are really strong and very uncomfortable. Uh, Verse 5 of chapter 5. It doesn't seem like you're a full-grown cow uh, on the way to the slaughterhouse. But, back to chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. It doesn't seem like you're a flower that will be withered by the sun's heat. But, so there's these three characters along the pilgrim path. The poor who are ashamed, powerless, and dishonored. The rich who are privileged and proud and powerful. 
And there's the Lord who is seeing and hearing and speaking. So we've got our characters, right? Now we can move on. But actually, if we skim James's guidebook to the trail, then yeah, there's these three characters. Rich, poor, God. But if we really read it, we see that there are actually more characters. Two more, in fact. No math whiz, but I think that makes five. Five characters. The rich person, the poor person, God. But then also, two ushers. Two ushers. You're thinking, ushers? I didn't see any ushers here. You mean the people who hand you the bulletin and tell you where to sit? Yeah, exactly. Ushers. Look at the beginning of chapter 2. The rich person and the poor person walk into the church and they meet the usher. And this is where we realize that James is not really asking us, are you the rich person or the poor person? But rather, James is asking us, are you the good usher or the bad usher? Am I the person, chapter 2, verse 3, who pays special attention to somebody because their clothes are nice and they've got jewelry on? They're wealthy and powerful. Am I the kind of usher who puts the person in the ugly clothes in the back row? Is it my ambition to fill my church with respectable people? Or am I, chapter 2, verse 8, am I totally committed to what Jesus commanded? Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you realize that you are all, and not just the five people in the back, but that you are all, ushers in the church. Where do I seat people? How do I greet people? And why? James tells us what life is like for the poor person, for the rich person. He says, along your journey, these people will come into your life. Along the path, they'll wander into your church what are you going to do with them, ushers? And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Honor everyone. Make no distinction based on power and privilege. So at first we had three, right? We had the rich, the poor, and God. We read a little closer and realized, ooh, actually there's also the good ushers and the bad ushers. Can I complicate this a little bit more for us? Actually, there are not three characters, and I would say there are not five characters, but there are four characters. Who? James says that we'll meet the rich and the poor. But the rich and the poor are not primarily James's concern. James is concerned that the rich and the poor are going to meet us. What are we like when they meet us? See, no matter how much we have in the bank or the quality of our clothes or what's on our fingers, 
What matters is my character. You might say this like Jesus does. You might say what really matters is, am I rich in spirit or am I poor in spirit? When the poor man and the rich man meet us along the trail, walk alongside of us, come into our church, the question is, who do I want to sit next to and why? Which one do I want to be like, spiritually speaking? Do I want more than anything, look at chapter 2, verse 5, to be like the poor man who, James says, has become, despite their poverty, rich in faith and an heir to the kingdom of God. You see, if you are going to inherit the kingdom of God, guess what you don't need? You don't need a little more money, a little more power, a little more influence. You don't need for rich and powerful people to like you. You're not banking on the wealth of this world. You haven't diversified your portfolio carefully because all of your investments are in Jesus Christ and in his kingdom. You're poor in spirit. You're rich in faith. But James is here to tell us, if you're rich in spirit, you have no choice. You have to have rich friends. You must pretend to respect and honor what are sometimes some really awful people in order to get some of their wealth and status for yourself. You will pretend to like the kind of people, he says in chapter 2, verse 6, the kind of people who oppress the poor, who drag the vulnerable into court, people who really, verse 7, hate the name of the Lord Jesus. And James is saying, I think, that Many of us, if we're honest, we're middle class in spirit. The middle class in spirit, they don't aspire to poverty in spirit. They aspire to riches. And so it's so easy for us to become a church that is middle class, or maybe even worse, rich in spirit. Because friends... James is here to tell us that the only true church is the church that is poor in spirit. The church that has, after all, nothing but Jesus. And the church that rejoices because it knows that because it has Jesus, it has everything else with Jesus. How do you know if you're poor in spirit? How do we know? IPC, if we're poor in spirit? Well, James leaves us these two clues. He says it twice. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. Look also at chapter 2, verse 5. What do these verses have in common? Well, the poor in spirit are who? Poor in spirit are those who love him. Who love him. Those who love him. What a breathtaking, uh, convicting four words. Those 
who love him. So that means that we are a poor in spirit church, rich in God. If what we're looking for in everyone who walks through the church doors, whether they're a longtime member, a first time guest, is what? What are we looking for? Love for Jesus. When we elect elders to our council, what are we looking for? Those who have money? Those who love him. I need a mentor. I need somebody to help me figure out how to live my life. Who am I looking for? Those who have success? Those who love him. We're serving communion, I believe, next Sunday. Who is welcome at the Lord's table? Those who look good, who seem good, those who love him. How much bread and how much wine does the rich person here get? A little cube of bread and a little glass of juice. How much bread and how much wine does the poor person among us get on Communion Sunday? Little cube, little glass. Who sits at Jesus' table? Those who love him. Friends, these are our characters in James's drama here. The poor in spirit, those who love him. The rich in spirit, those who can't afford to love him at all costs. But I said that there were four characters, right? <laughs> who are the other two? Well, they are the Lord Jesus Christ and God, the Heavenly Father. Because the subtext of all of this should be clear to anybody who's experienced the New Testament. Underneath all of this, James is also saying to us that Jesus Christ was rich. But he showed up along the pilgrim trail. And he came along and followed us into the chapel, into church. And Jesus was the one in humble circumstances. The richest person in history, the richest one in all of eternity, became poor. And then after a life full of humble circumstances, a life lived in kindness to the poor, what did Jesus experience? Not exaltation, but further humiliation. Jesus, to put it in the way that James does, Jesus faded away. He withered like the grass in the scorching heat. He had his clothing filthy from all of the scourging, then finally stripped from him. Jesus was the worker who was not paid his due wages, the laborer who was abused and ended up crying out to his God. He was the one, like James says, condemned and murdered, though innocent. Friends, the Lord Jesus wasn't given a bad seat in the back of the church. He was ushered all the way outside of the city and humiliated and crucified. And he didn't have to sit on the floor or in the balcony, but he was ushered to the tomb. 
No one else, friends, has ever had what he had. And no one else has ever lost what he lost. Honor and privilege and authority and power and riches, which is to say, glory. And unlike the famous prodigal son, or the infamous prodigal son, he spent none of his wealth on himself, none of his power and privilege spent on himself, but like the prodigal son, he was left, and his only hope was that his father might put a ring on his finger after all, clothing on his back. His only chance was that the father might exalt him and give him the kingdom promised to whom? To those who love him. And thanks be to God, the father did this fourth character. The father is the good usher, don't you see? The one who sees the poor in spirit, rich in love. And he says first to his son, the Lord Jesus, son, Yours is the kingdom. Come up here from the place where you lie in the tomb and now have the best seat in my right hand. And then this changes Jesus for us, our experience of Jesus. How? Well, because now Jesus has everything, Jesus can be the good usher for us. He has everything, so he's not giving out seats based on what he can get from us. He doesn't need anything from us. He has all things. So now in perfect justice and perfect grace, he can give us the seats of honor simply because we have become by grace those who love him. Friends, church, we've got to become Simply, those who love him. In the end, that's all that matters along the way. And everything else that we need to do and that we need to be will take care of itself once we do. Father, we pray that you would seal this word to our hearts and make it a reality in our lives and in our church for the sake of our community and indeed the whole world which you love and for which our Savior died. We pray in his name. Amen.